This episode is brought to you by the Collin College Veterinary Technology Program. Housed at the brand new Wiley campus, this program offers cutting-edge technology and hands-on opportunities. Visit collin.edu slash department slash vet tech to learn more. Making that decision was probably one of the hardest ones that I've made in my career. From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is Veterinary Vitals, a show that features open and honest conversations with veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein, Media Coordinator for TVMA. When Dr. Tanasia Crocker graduated from Texas A&M University College of Veterinary Medicine in 2009, she was set on equine medicine. She never envisioned she would be practicing small animal medicine, but that's exactly what she's doing today. And she loves it. She's an associate veterinarian at Northwest Animal Hospital in Grapevine, Texas, and an ER relief veterinarian. So why did she make this change? She explains in this episode, and she hopes her story will inspire future veterinarians and young veterinarians to find joy in the profession in ways they may have never considered. Here she is. I've done a lot of different things and I am really happy where I am. I really love what I do still. Uh, Most days I want to go to work. There's always, you know, bad days no matter what you do, but uh, majority of the time I really enjoy it. And I really have found joy where I am and what I'm doing. And I just started to hear more and more of the negativity that was out there. And a lot of people saying they wish they had never become a veterinarian. And that actually really hit me. Uh, And I kind of was internally saying, that's not my story. That's not how I feel. And I felt like maybe there was a vocal minority that was more negative about about it than the majority of us who have been out and have made decisions that have really set us up to be successful and happy. So I really wanted to get out there and really address the younger generation of vet students and veterinarians who maybe were feeling, I don't know, disenchanted and uh, even scared about entering the profession that they had chosen because of all the negativity. Um, So I decided to just put my story out there. And I think it really resonated hearing somebody who has been out in practice as long as I've been saying, no, you should do it. You have to make good decisions, but it really can be something that you love still. um, And that's really fulfilling. So what have been some of the things that have prepared you to be successful in finding joy in the profession? I think that I have been able to pivot in my career and make choices and decisions that were best for me or my family or the the season of life that I was in. And I think a lot of veterinarians feel very stuck. So they'll join a practice and and maybe it's not working for them, um, but they don't ever change anything. Um, And they just continue to be in this cycle of unhappiness, but staying where they are. And I, I really, I've lived in a lot of different states growing up. I went to seven schools. And so I think I'm very just adaptable and, and open to change. And so if I ever was struggling or felt like where I was wasn't working for me anymore, I would look for more other opportunities. And once you start looking, the doors that open are incredible. And then you just have to have the courage to kind of 
go through them. And so I was always willing to try something different if what I was doing wasn't working. And I think that's one important thing you have to do because as you graduate, you're going to be one person. And as you go through this career, things are going to change and your values change and priorities change um, and your health can change. I mean, there's a lot of things that can, you know, make it where you need to make, make a change and you have to be willing to do that. And I think if you do that, you can find huge success and fulfillment. So what's been an example of something that wasn't working for you and then you found um, an outlet that worked better? The biggest example, and it's such a common story, like one of the most common stories in veterinary medicine, I feel like is I went to vet school to be equine vet. I was a horse girl through school. I did an equine internship. I was an equine veterinarian mobile by myself in a truck for four years. I really did well. I really loved it. But then I had my first child and the on call was very stressful. Um, I handle stress pretty well. I'm not a, a super anxious person, but I developed an ulcer. Um, I was really struggling and it just happened that my husband started traveling more at the same time that I was going back to work with a newborn and I was 50% on call. So I was waking up my baby in the middle of the night to go, you know, take care of sick, injured horses. And it just kind of was spiraling and it finally took him actually saying, this is not working for you. Like you are not happy. You're not sleeping. Um, and him kind of calling me out on it and me recognizing that. And so I had a conversation with my boss and said, it's not working. Can we make some adjustments and changes? And he was unwilling to work with me and we're still friends. Like it was, you know, I think being upfront is important in this um, career and asking for what you want is important, but he said, no, I can't do that. And so I had to make a change and I did. And I've found kind of a whole next level of uh, success and enjoyment of the profession. And honestly, if you had asked me when I was in vet school, would I ever be a small animal practitioner or work ER relief and work with exotics and stuff? I would say absolutely not. Like never, never, never. And being open to that has really done huge things for me and for my family too. So it's interesting that your husband noticed it and called you out. Um, was it having an impact on him? Why do you think he was the one that brought it up um, instead of you noticing it and starting to take a change on your own? You know, it's been actually through him that I have realized that I'm extremely, extremely blessed and fortunate that I do have a job that I love and that I'm really passionate about. Um, one day when we were dating, I said, you know, I'm going to be a veterinarian and it's going to be a lot. And I need to know that you're on board. And he's like, no, a hundred percent, because I see your passion and, and your love for the profession. Um, and he said, you have to realize how uncommon it is. So many people just go to work to go to work. They don't actually love what they're doing. They don't have a, a passion for it. They don't really want to get in there and help people and, and do what you're doing. And so you have to go for it. And yes, it's going to be hard, but it's worth it. And so he's the one that kind of pointed that out to me. Um, and made me realize how lucky I was really to choose the profession and to to have it be fulfilling to me also. Um, like be really good at something that I also love to do. A lot of people don't have that opportunity in life. And I think we forget that sometimes when we have the hard days or the bad moments um, that we really are fortunate, I think, to do what we do. And if your situation is not allowing you to feel like that, you need to make a change. Did he think about that passion that you have and he started to notice that you were, you were feeling a little less of that passion? 
Yeah, he definitely saw a big shift. I mean, I, I'm a worker. I, I, before kids, I mean, I could go to work and then I could stay afterwards and talk about cases. And, you know, I love talking to clients about things and I never really felt like, oh, I gotta, you know, hurry home or um, like, I really wanted to get away from it. Um, and he saw a huge shift. When the phone would ring, he saw me just really be deflated, not want to get out there, um, just not want to leave the house really, not want to go to work like I normally would, um, and be excited to go see what was happening and what was on my schedule. And so he saw a significant shift in me and my excitement. Um, and I didn't see it because I was so tired. I mean, having a, a newborn is tiring. Um, and I never wanted to really admit that I needed to make a change because I was always going to be a horse vet. It was such a part of my identity. And so having to say it's not working for me was really, really hard for me. And I actually, it was probably two, three years of after I made a change, still really feeling like I had failed in a way, even though I had done it and I was really good at it and I was successful at it, leaving it made me question um, a lot of myself. And I've really come to understand it was the right decision, but it wasn't something that was an easy decision. And it wasn't like an automatic switch that flipped. And I'm like, okay, I'm good with this. I mean, it is hard, especially when that is always going to be the goal and you really do enjoy it, but you have to, you have to change it. And I probably could have looked for another practice that was still equine that maybe I would have, you know, better hours or better on call. Um, but some doors open for me to do something different. And I decided to try it and I just found I really, really enjoyed it. So um, the way it worked out was really for the best, but making that decision was probably one of the hardest ones that I've made in my career. So I imagine it was pretty emotional. Did you feel any sort of release when you're like, oh, I can like let go of this a little bit? <laughs> it, I would, and then I would have a like time period where I'd be like, oh, I'm such a slacker. Like I, I couldn't continue to work. 60 hour weeks and have a baby. Like, why can't I do that? You know, like I really beat myself up over it. Um, cause I always was very proud of my work ethic and my ability. And as veterinarians, we're really bad about that. Like we're really good at being martyrs and, you know, working ourselves really hard and running ourselves into the ground, um, which is not healthy and is not the way we should be, but retraining yourself to realize that wasn't the right way to act. And there was two things that really made a difference. Um, my boss that I left the job from, he actually, we had a couple conversations and he did say to me, you know, I understand what you're doing because when I was building this practice and when I was an equine vet and he was in his sixties, I mean, he'd been doing it forever. He said, I only saw my kids that they came out with me in the vet truck. Like I, I was not a part of my kids' lives. And he was very engaged with his children now that he was older, but he really missed a significant portion of their childhood. And so he was, he kind of shared with me that regret um, and that he understood why I was making a change. So that kind of gave me a little boost. And then I had a mentor, Dr. Noah Cohen, who is at AM and uh, he's on the faculty and he's amazing. And I happened to be at AM and we had lunch together and I told him kind of what I was struggling and what I was doing. And he looked at me and Sorry, it makes me like emotional now, which is so silly. Um, it's been so long, but he just said, I'm so proud of you. He's like, you did it and you were, you know, you're so good at it, but you were making a decision for your family 
that you need to make. And I know that's really hard. And so that, that gave me the next like, I guess, push to say, this is what I really need to do. So those are the big influences to help me do it and make the decision. And again, it worked out really, really well for me. And I think knowing that it's not an easy decision to make and it's still going to be one you struggle with, but it's going to be worth it. That is kind of part of what I want to put out there for younger veterinarians or other veterinarians that are struggling. So your story reminds me a little bit about, um, I interviewed Dr. Gail Millard. Her episode was about balancing uh, motherhood with being a traveling veterinarian. And she had to establish boundaries with her boss um, because she was like, hey, I really want to go um, on this field trip with my son. And he told her, you know, you really need to assess your priorities. And she said, I have. <laughs> um, and she was saying, this is time that I can't get back. And so I definitely understand where you're coming from. Um, and I'm sure it takes a lot of courage to make that move, even though, you know, it was probably scary. It was a little out of your comfort zone. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's interesting because a lot of veterinarians that are unhappy, if you talk to them about practice, I mean, they, they do deal with difficult clients and, you know, some of them aren't compensated the way that they should be and their hours are really long, but a lot of it is the stressors also at home and having, you know, the childcare um, and having not a supportive partner maybe. Um, and I think those things make it harder to be a veterinarian. I'm very, very lucky to have the husband I have and have him be so supportive in anything that I try and that I do. He's like, sure, let's do it. Let's go for it. Um, and that's how we've always been. Uh, and, and without that, it would be, it would be harder to do some of the things that I've done. Um, so I am lucky in that way, but I do think that you have to look at your whole life and see like what is truly giving you stress or making you unhappy. And then you make the changes that you can to alleviate those things as much as possible. So personal stressors, that's, that could be a component of um, obstacles veterinarians face that could deplete the joy in practicing veterinary medicine. What are some other obstacles that you see? I think it's interesting you brought up boundaries because the other big one is obviously clients, um, you know, taking advantage of you or not being uh, understanding of the fact that you have time constraints or you can't be everything to everyone. Uh, and I certainly have never, <laughs> I've never had a problem with confrontation. Uh, let's say that uh, even though I'm a like short little blonde thing, I have no problem standing up for myself. Um, but it still took me a while to really learn to set boundaries with clients. And honestly, to realize that even when I did like run myself ragged for them or really go above and beyond for them, a lot of times it really wasn't recognized. Um, or they still continue to, to take advantage of me. And so I guess understanding that you can do all those things, but do them for yourself. Don't do it for the client. And if it's not working for you, you know, setting the boundary is really important. And I, it's amazing to me. And even working in the ER, how many things are not truly emergencies that have to be seen right away. I mean, all the time you have people that say, you know, my dog's been throwing up for three days, but all of a sudden, you know, it's an emergency and they're mad that it's going to take an hour for you to see them in a busy ER, you know, and, and there's things that once you start looking at it and really put it in perspective, I, I 
it's hard to understand why people are the way they are sometimes in those circumstances. But I try to give owners grace that they are having a bad day or something is going on. And one of my favorite things is to say that it is trash and not truth. So if an owner is hateful to me or um, rude to my staff, um, I really have learned to say that is not a true reflection of who I am, uh, how they're, you know, responding to me or what they're saying. There's something else going on in their life that's that's probably adding to this. And I am not going to accept that. I'm not going to take that in and have them make me feel like I'm less because I know that I'm doing my best for them. And I know where my heart is and I know who I am. And again, that is something that I think takes training. Uh, it's, it's a lot of mindfulness. Um, but the trash, not truth thing has really helped me if I've, I've had owners who are inappropriate or angry and then also empowering yourself to really say it's not okay like you can't talk to me that way you can't talk to my staff that way um i have full authority to fire people at the practice i'm at now i think when i was in equine practice there was less support from my bosses to set boundaries and to have people be respectful um and that has been a huge thing to feel empowered to to say what i need to say to I don't know, support and protect me and my staff. Um, and that's probably one of the reasons I love my job so much where I am now um, is that culture and that environment. But I think clients are definitely one of the biggest stressors that just kind of suck your soul <laughs> sometimes in practice. Um, but you'll see 20 great clients and then you'll have one soul sucker. And the thing is you just can't give that person power to destroy your day. I mean, you gotta focus on the good ones. Yeah, I remember I talked with uh, Dr. Nancy Turner, and she said that one of her staff members kept this picture of one of the their most like beloved clients, um, and the client was wearing like a matching outfit as the pet, um, and just like they kept the that picture up there just as a reminder to be like, this is why we're doing our job because of, of what you're saying. Like it's hard when there's that one, and it can kind of get to you. It really can. And that's normal. Like it's a normal human response to be hurt or be upset or, or honestly question, like, did I do enough? You know, was, was I, like kind of assess what they're saying. But I think if you truly are smart about it, you realize that it's them, not you. And I have the same sort of thing. I have like a package of, you know, letters clients have sent me, like thanking me. And then I have a whole board next to my desk of um, pets that have passed away that were really special to me. Um, and the clients sent me pictures, you know, with like thank you notes uh, for caring for them and gifts clients gave me when I was pregnant with my second kid and I have those there. So it is great to have the visual reminder um, because I think even if you're not thinking about it, you know, it, it's reminding you of what you're doing and that it's important and that you are um, respected and cared for by a lot of people. So what are some other common challenges that you see? Because I wanted to ask how can veterinarians overcome those challenges, but I want to make sure that we go through some of them in case we missed any. I think that I, so I'll be honest, I, I really dislike the term work-life balance um, because I, I don't think you'll ever have balance. It's never going to be 50-50, right? Which is balance. There's going to be times like right now, I will tell you that uh, Corona has made our work insane at both ER and my general practice. And I have been working a ridiculous amount. And when I'm working, I am not really getting lunch breaks and, and it's just, 
it's just really busy and really crazy and there's a high level of stress and that's the season I'm in right now and so I don't feel as available to my family as I normally would be but I just feel like this is where we're at right now right but there's other times that everything's flowing smoothly and I even might take a couple days off you know to spend time with my kids or do something special um and so I don't think it balances out but I do think trying to find the ways that you can still have those moments with your family but feel available at work are really important and a lot of that a lot of that honestly has to do with the culture of the practice you're in uh, I did a lot of relief before I ended up at the practice I'm at now and it is incredible to me how many practices really don't appreciate having clients schedule appointments they let walk-ins be you know all that there is there's just a sense of being overwhelmed constantly by the staff um, they don't feel supported no one gets breaks no one get, gets lunches I mean that really wears you down I mean it really really does and I was really surprised to see that but in my practice you don't walk in you schedule an appointment we do have a local ER and if we can't get to you you're going to the ER and we have actually trained clients about that I mean you don't it is interesting to me that we feel like we can train dogs and cats but we can't train people and that's not true you really can have a new client come in and you can say hey this is the way we work and this is what we believe in and we're really happy you're here and guess what it's gonna work for them or it's not right and they're gonna like you or they're not but if there's somebody who are going to want to walk in appointment or they're going to want that six o'clock when everyone's supposed to leave appointment and they're not okay with the way you run things they're not the client for you but i think that a lot of us don't realize how many people are okay with it because there's very few industries that you don't have to like in the medical industry other than the er that you don't have to schedule ahead of time i mean do you ever walk in anywhere other than like an er and urgent care no you have to see your doctor you call you make an appointment if you're gonna try to talk to somebody, you're never gonna talk to the doctor, you're only gonna talk to the nurse. So you really, I think, can train people um, in a respectful manner. Um, and if it doesn't work for them, it doesn't work for them. But that is something that, I guess, frustrates me that people just won't set those boundaries in their practices because they're worried they're gonna lose all these clients. And I think they'd be surprised how many clients will adjust to it. Mm -hmm. And possibly respect you more, you know, when someone puts up boundaries, it I don't know it makes you think probably more highly of them well and in our area people want their appointments done on time they want to show up and and they don't want 20 walk-ins where you're saying yeah you had an appointment but you have to wait an hour because we just had three walk-ins yeah. that you know are going to go ahead of you and so yeah. I think respecting their time right and the fact that they scheduled is, is important also yeah, I'd be really annoyed. I'd be like, I made this appointment, you just let these other people come in? Like, yeah, I'd, I'd, I get that. Okay, so now that you've listed those challenges, you know, you said it's pretty much impossible to have work-life balance, uh, client interactions. So what are veterinarians doing to overcome some of those challenges? And it sounds like it comes at the, like the clinic, the clinic culture, like that's one way. What, what are some other ideas? I think that, um, I mean, there's some very concrete ideas, right? So one of them is setting up boundaries, um, utilizing um, updated 
equipment and ways of communication just to kind of have it be easier for people to make appointments for people to interact with you so it doesn't take as much time on the on the part of you or your staff right and you can focus on what's really important those are kind of simple things um i think creative scheduling a lot of vets don't really think about the fact that it doesn't have to be a eight to five schedule or eight to six schedule um i've seen a lot of practices that have made shorter days where they have you know working moms who are going to take off early on certain days and then work later on other days um, so that they can spend more time with their children um, i actually negotiated my contract um, like that uh, when i decided to come on full time at the practice i'm at because i really wanted to pick my kid up from school some days i didn't want to be at work till you know five six o'clock every night and um, so I don't take a lunch on two days and I work through lunch and then I leave early enough to get her and it's worked out actually great because it's opened a whole other element of times that people can have appointments um, and there's a doctor there, you know, around the clock um, and it's actually helped with revenue stream. So, um, but thinking creatively and out of the box about how can we make it work better, especially since there are so many women now in the industry um, and we are willing to work just as hard but i think sometimes because of all the things that we're balancing we understand that working harder is not always the best it's working smarter and more efficiently um, and so those are kind of just some concrete things that you can do and obviously having a boss that's supportive um, especially if your family i work with two men who we went and had a discussion when i first started I'm doing a lot of work for them and they said bring your husband and i did and they both said to me your family is your priority like when you die one day your clients are not all going to be at your funeral it's going to be your family those are the people that really matter and your clients are going to find another vet because that's what they're going to you know that's what they need and it's you're not going to your family's not going to find another mom another wife you know like that is what you need to focus on and prioritize um, and and having the ability and the the fact that i can wake up and my kid can be have a fever and be throwing up and i literally can call the practice and say i can't come in today i have to stay home i have a sick kid and they say great don't worry about it we'll take care of it and i don't feel a sense of guilt i feel totally supported i think that's huge and i think it's such an easy thing but instead so many people feel men or women who are moms or dads feel really torn i guess and not supported that they have these multiple roles to fill one way to find joy is to pursue a career you love if you have a passion for helping animals collin college's vet tech program may be the perfect pathway to your new profession gain practical experience in an innovative learning environment at an affordable price learn from experienced licensed veterinary technicians and veterinarians who are passionate about veterinary medicine. Enjoy small class sizes and flexible schedules with day, night, and weekend classes. Acquire hands-on clinical experience and earn an Associate of Applied Science degree. The growing need for licensed veterinary technicians is creating exciting opportunities. Find your future today at Collin College. Visit collin.edu slash department slash vet tech. In order for a veterinarian to find a job and a clinic that works best for them, um, you mentioned that it's important during an interview process to ask specific questions um, that will provide them with answers so they can make well-informed decisions. 
So can you give some ideas of uh, examples of what those questions are when someone goes into an interview? I think that the a lot of vet students or younger veterinarians really hone in on um, like salary, vacation days, you know, healthcare, like kind of the basics, right? Um, and those things are important. Um, I would say salary-wise, what's most important is how much you can make like once you've been somewhere for a while, like what's your ceiling? Um, but I think it's more important to know like what is the staff retention? Um, how long have each of the veterinarians been there? Um, what about the managers that have been there? Um, because that tells you a lot. Um, we have people that work for us in our practice that have been there almost 20 years, mm -hmm. like have been there since it started. And that is really uncommon in veterinary medicine. And in some of these practices, I mean, they go through support staff like crazy. And I think that's really telling um, because even if you're willing to pay top dollar for people, if you can't keep people, then there's something that's wrong, right? Um, and I think that that is a really simple question to say, well, how long have the other veterinarians been here? How long have your, you know, technicians been here? Who's the longest, you know, support staff employee that you've had? Um, because it really can tell you a lot about the practice and how they take care of their employees. Um, and the other thing is just knowing how much communication there is in support. And so I would be asking, you know, do you guys have staff meetings? Do you have doctor meetings? What would be the protocol for if I joined the practice and there was something I wanted to address? Like what's the hierarchy of management? Because there should be, instead of having like everybody goes to the boss and nothing ever gets done, I mean, Ideally, you're going to have a technical manager, an office manager, a receptionist manager. You're going to have people that will manage different, you know, aspects of the hospital so that you, especially as a young veterinarian, are not having to come in there and try to teach and manage. Instead, you are going to focus on being a doctor and being the best doctor that you can be. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of people will say, ask if there's mentorship. You need to ask if there's mentorship, but you need to be specific. So who will be with me initially when I start doing surgeries? What is your surgery protocol like? What is the schedule of each doctor? Will there be a doctor here when, I, when I'm doing things, especially if you're a newer grad, right? Like, is there somebody there that I can call on if I need um, help in surgery? Uh, is there a time that we can meet uh, once a month and have lunch and just discuss how things are going? Uh, when can we talk about cases? Is there a day of the week that we can you know, go over some of the cases up if I have questions and really get really specific in it because it's really easy. And honestly, I think it's, I don't think it's bad intentions, but we're really busy as veterinarians and especially when we're in practice like daily. And I might tell somebody, oh yeah, I'll mentor you, I'll mentor you. But if that person is not really outspoken, right? I might just think they're doing great. And I don't ever take specific time to sit down with them and say, what's going on? Here's what I'm seeing. You know, you're doing great at this. Let's talk about this. You know, what can we do to support you more? And, and I don't think it's truly mentorship unless you're really having those one-on-one -on -one moments or that time um, to really focus and, and really talk about things. Um, now, the other thing would be, I personally, would like a practice where I have opportunities. So if you wanna be an owner, you know, asking about ownership opportunities. Um, if you want to uh, go into doing some acupuncture or there's like an interest or a passion you have, you wanna do more imaging, you know, would you support me in additional training for ultrasound? 
would you be open to getting, you know, this piece of equipment that I am really familiar with? And I think, you know, I can, and seeing if they're open to new ideas, right? And to new ways and new revenue streams, because it's one thing to join a practice and kind of fill a space, but to join a practice and like grow it and grow your portion of it, I think is really, really important. So asking questions that kind of um, suss out how supportive they would be of making changes or being open to ideas that you might bring to the table, um, I think is helpful. I, I have some people who really want to hone in on like vacation times or lunches. And I think you can ask those things in like roundabout ways. Like maybe when you're there doing a working interview, you know, you could ask the staff or even see like, Oh, are you guys going to go to lunch today? Like, and if they say, Oh, we're never going to lunch break. Well, that's a little bit of a red flag. Right. Um, so there's kind of some things that you can ask, but maybe not in your interview be like, how many vacation days am I going to get? And do I get a lot? You know, I think that those things to some owners would be a little bit like a, oh, you're not here to work, which is not always the intention, but that could be taken that way. So those would be questions I would kind of bring in later once I've kind of covered the other ones. Yeah. Um, a lot of these questions sound like you've really had to live this to realize what your values are to like, maybe have gone through like, Oh man, that was really frustrating. Now I know this is what I'm looking for at a job. Um, which makes this so valuable to tell veterinary students and young vets. So like they don't have to go through an experience that maybe isn't the best for them. So it's almost great. I don't know. I know you have a website. Do you have a page that just has like, these are the best interview questions. <laughs> so I, I put out, I guess you would call it content. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of it is on Instagram and I do do like Instagram TV, uh, videos and some of them kind of speak to some of these things um and then i also uh, do write blogs and stuff and all that is on my website um and i think it's i will tell you you saying that um you have a great question you're very intuitive um i, I think that me doing so much relief work it opened my eyes to the fact that there is so many different practices out there, so many even types of small animal practices within like a 10 mile radius. I mean, the cultures, every place is different. And so I do think those things are important to recognize because you could just say, I'm gonna go into small animal practice, but then you end up at a clinic that does not align at all with your values and what's important to you and your priorities. Um, and so really honing in on those things and knowing yourself is going to be, and if you really, just want to make a lot of money when you get out, then you're going to go for the biggest paycheck, right? And you don't care about some of these other things. But if you want to join a practice family that you want to be out a long time and you're supported and you grow in, then I think you're going to look for maybe a different type of practice. And so um, I, I think that seeing so many practices has given me really good perspective on it. Um, I'm actually working on a little workbook um, by the time this comes out, it might be out and it's actually about the different types of practice and kind of knowing your values, um, and what's important to you and what you're thinking about as like a student, um, and where you might want to end up and what you need to consider. Her workbook is called Dr. Crocker's Veterinary Adventures, and it will be released next month in the Snout School online store. So the questions that you're encouraging veterinary students and young vets to ask their future employers, how should practice owners be prepared to answer those questions? What advice do you have for them? Well, above all, they should be honest and authentic about it, right? So if they 
haven't had a new grad in a while and they're not really sure how they're going to navigate that i think that you know as a practice owner i would say we're really excited to have you here we're really excited to have a new grad come in um, and we know that it's going to take you know some additional help uh, and support and we don't really know what that's going to look like yet um, but we're open to talking about ways that we can do that that will work for you and work with us um, obviously we're really busy during the day and so it might be something that we have to do you know after work you know occasionally um, but we're going to be available during the day for you but we don't have any you know concrete uh, ways that we're going to do it but that's one of the reasons why we wanted to get a new grad in here is because we're excited about the next generation and and we want to you know help teach and help help you grow as a veterinarian if you obviously are really strong in mentorship that I think you say hey we're going to do a b and c and you know we're going to be here for you and what do you need and what do you want and we'll make it happen I wonder if there's any CE related to this. I, I just learned that AVMA Axon has one related to uh, well-being. So yeah, my next question was, what changes do you think need to come about in veterinary medicine to help people more easily find joy in the profession? And I was just thinking one of them is probably those CE opportunities. What do you think about in general, if you feel like you didn't get a chance to fully touch on that? I, I honestly am really hopeful about the direction that we're going in. I feel like a lot of people have really engaged um, just online and through social media and through, you know, podcasts and uh, webinars and CEs to really say these are the issues in our profession. Uh, these are the people that are really passionate about it. Here's tools that you need. Um, there is, if you start looking, there's actually a ton of different uh, people out there who are putting out content about um, gratitude and wellness and, and what you should be thinking about um, as a young veterinarian and also people you know like me who are saying reach out like ask me questions um, I'm here for you I'm here to support you um, I only want you to succeed uh, and there's actually a lot of us out there that are in practice that are doing that and so if you look to connect right now I really think you can find a lot of different communities that you'll find the one for you. Um, there's some great, like Dr. Andy Rourke has Uncharted, uh, which is a whole group that you can join and they do their own CE and they do a ton of practice management um, and just personal wellness uh, content, which I think is really helpful. Um, and then if you're on Instagram, the Instagram veterinary community is actually really amazingly positive and supportive. Um, and there is a lot of vets that will kind of have niches and things that they speak to. Um, some of them really hone in on ownership. Some of them are talking about finances. And so if you're looking for something specific, I think Instagram is a great community to engage in um, and join with. And I really think that the more, I'm 11 years out and I feel like my generation is realizing how much we need to help and encourage the next generation. And so I think a lot of change is going to happen in the next couple of years as we become the older veterinarians and you have the that next generation coming up who is also really passionate and self-aware of having boundaries, wellness. I mean, I hear more about those things, honestly, from vet students and young grads than I do from my age. Um, and so I think that they are also teaching us those things and how important they are. And when they're coming into practice and they're saying, you know, I'm gonna take a lunch. I think it's important. Like, I'm going to set a boundary with this client. I need your support in that. It's it's helping us too overall to change the profession and move it in a more positive direction. So, I will continue to kind of be there, but also to learn 
from them. And I think the more we connect with each other, share our stories, pull the curtain back on who we are as people and not just that we're veterinarians, I think the public will also become more kind and understanding. Maybe I'm just really hopeful, <laughs> but I, I just, I think that if you start looking, you'll see there's a lot of people like me that feel the same way. So who are some people that you follow on Instagram that you would recommend? Oh, okay. So it really depends on if you want to just see people in practice. Dr. Right? Crocker had so many recommendations and you'll find those Instagram handles in the show notes. I joined Instagram like a year ago and I've been shocked and amazed uh, about what is out there and what you can learn. I, I feel like I learn stuff all the time. Um, it's, it's really, really cool. So perhaps I could put some of those handles in the show notes. Um, I also want people to follow TVMA on Instagram as well. And I put that in the show notes as well. And so speaking of TVMA, um, tell me about why you decided to join and the benefits that you've experienced. So I initially out of school, honestly, I didn't join TVMA. Um, I think I was like automatically a member, but I wasn't really engaged. Um, I was more into the like AEP, like the equine side of things. Um, and then as I've gone along in practice, I've realized how important it is to be plugged in locally um, and plugged into your you know, local veterinary school um, just for networking opportunities. Um, and also to know what's going on locally, especially um, with different government things. Right now, um, a lot of the states with the mandates they're coming down with um, have really affected veterinarians uh, and talking about telemedicine and what we can and can't do. Um, I think it's really important to be a part of your local organization to give feedback on those things and, always, and also to be updated. Um, and so I kind of, I guess, matured um, and realized that even though I might not always go to like the team make conferences that even just going to local meetings or knowing the people in our area who are, who are essentially making decisions, uh, policy, policy decisions and, and other things for me as a veterinarian that I better be engaged and I better know what's going on. Um, and getting that information is really helpful. Um, and advocating for myself and fellow veterinarians is really helpful and important. So I have enjoyed it. Um, I'm actually trying to join some committees now to be more engaged um, and hopefully go to more of the conferences to meet more people. But I think that it is something that has come with, <laughs> with me getting older and realizing it is important. Um, and I'm glad I didn't. I was really excited about the podcast because I think it's a great way to get stories out there of Texas veterinarians or TVMA veterinarians. Um, so I was excited I got to come on and talk. Yeah, well, of course, I'm loving the podcast. It's great to get to know veterinarians. And I feel like um, I've connected more with our members through this podcast. Um, it's really special. It's nice when you have like an actual like face and name, you know, to something. Yeah. Um, like when you go to a meeting and then you see all these people or even old classmates and you're like, oh, my gosh, like it's just the community support in this industry is, is really, really huge. Um, and having support in general and really, I, as much as I love my husband and he's great, he really doesn't completely understand what I'm going through and what I have to deal with. So having fellow veterinarians there to talk to, encourage me, um, you know, even validate my feelings if my feelings are hurt, um, is, is really important. Um, and I've definitely found that with TVMA, you know, so the only thing 
And this is probably an important thing I want to leave you with, especially because of the audience of the Team Merit podcast is if you are a busy veterinarian, but you have a heart for this profession, um, and if you ever struggled or you ever had somebody really support you or you needed somebody to support you, I would highly encourage you to put yourself out there um, to connect and potentially be a mentor um, or just be available. Because even if you can't have somebody come to your practice and shadow you all the time or have externs or, you know, spend a ton of time one-on-one with somebody, even just virtually answering emails or encouraging somebody that's had a bad day, I really think it can make a huge, huge difference. And I think by connecting as an industry and supporting each other, we will will move it in the right direction. Um, and so I would just encourage you to join me on you know, social media platforms, um, or on my website, you can actually go and sign up and subscribe and you can put that you're willing to be a mentor and I can connect you with students who are looking for engagement and looking for mentors. Um, and again, it doesn't mean you have to have them come to your practice and hang out, but it means you are going to care about them, be a sounding board for them and encourage them. And really, if we just do that, I do think we'll make our industry better. Yeah. Do you wish that there was someone like you around when you were a younger veterinarian? <laughs> I had, um, I had some amazing mentors, um, but they were all men. And I think that's mainly because I was in like the equine industry. Um, I do wish there were more women who were married that had kids that were doing it. Um, because I think that seeing, and I get, honestly, I get this comment a lot, like, how do you do everything you do and still have kids? Like, can I truly do this job and have a family and how do you balance it? And, and so I think it's really good to see women. And I know, uh, like Nancy Turner and Abel and, uh, Dr. Lori, like there's a lot of veterinarians that have children too, but I think putting it out there, like what you're doing, how you're doing it, um, can really help the next generation since they are mainly female. Um, so I, I would, I wish there was another woman, I guess, that I could have had as a mentor because I've had to learn a lot of it on my own. Um, and that definitely was harder. And so I'm hoping to help some, some younger veterinarians out, you know, so they don't have to do that. That was Dr. Tanasia Crocker speaking about finding joy in the profession. While switching from equine medicine to small animal medicine was a difficult decision for her, it was the right one for her and her family. A few takeaways from this episode are, if you're feeling stuck in your current job, consider making a change. Be open to new opportunities. You have options. In your current role, practice setting boundaries. Don't spend time internalizing negative comments from clients. Instead, take moments to appreciate the clients and pets that make it all worth it. Ask the right questions when you interview for a new job. Consider whether the work culture is right for you. Sometimes that makes all the difference. You can learn much more from Dr. Crocker by visiting her website and following her on social media. All of that information is in the show notes and her workbook will be available next month in the Snout School online store. As I said, it's called Dr. Crocker's Veterinary Adventures. Look out for that one, too. On the next episode of Veterinary Vitals, you'll hear from the Interim Dean of Texas A&M University College of Veterinary Medicine. This College of Veterinary Medicine and Biomedical Sciences is a very highly ranked college, uh, not only nationally, but around the world. And so firstly, it's, it's an extraordinary privilege to be asked 
to come back and take a leadership role. That's Dr. John August. You'll not only find out what his goals are for the college during his tenure, but what he does for fun on the weekends. For now, please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to Veterinary Vitals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein from TVMA. Thank you.